0: It's a Bible rundown. It's day 143. We got a special guest on today. It's Mr. Steve Klug here with Pastor David, Pastor Rob. We are on the mic today. Our pastoral resident himself, Stephen Klug, (laughs) the man, the myth, the legend. Let's give him all the hard questions. All the hard Hard questions questions. are going to go his way, and we certainly have some hard questions today, David. Oh, I got. We are coming from the Chronicler. The first Chronicles, number 19 through 21, and John 8. There's obviously a lot in John 8 to cover, so we may need to get through uh, these Chronicles quickly. Chapter 19, 20, and 21. Got any things to talk about here? Can we just skip to number 20? Yeah. Steve, why
1: does the Chronicler leave out Bathsheba? Ooh, that's a good question. Why is he focused on the positive? As he forgot, It'd be like somebody saying America's a great country and never
0: talk about slavery. And after never... that, you can address the man with six fingers. How does he have six fingers, Steve? <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, I appreciate that. The six fingers, all I think of is a movie. Princess Bride? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Princess I'm, I'm there Bride. with yeah. He's a
0: giant of a man. It's, yes. it's interesting that yeah. David's brother is the one that kills the giant this time the same brother that was nervous to go out to war maybe mm-hmm. not the same brother but a brother, brother that was uh nervous to go out to war against the giants but steve why is the chronicler so positive here he does he takes out the the bathsheba you, do you know do you know well it's a uh, tough question
2: it is a tough question but i would say that if you look at it from a historical point of view it's probably more of chronicling the kings, mm-hmm. and so when kings, if you look at any other kingship, they only talked about the positive. They didn't mention any mm-hmm. sin or sure. any other problems, and this might just be where they the focus more was on the positive of what Israel needed to hear yeah. about their past at this and time. Yes, at this time they didn't need to remember every uh, that again. It's about the focus more than it is about leaving it out. Because you have other scriptures that speak on it. I think you're right. Because what
1: happens in chapter 21, David's not without sin. And the chronicler makes sure we know David was not the best of kings. Why? Because when Satan stood against Israel, he incited David to sin. Yeah, Mm it's interesting. So, yes, the chronicler leaves out Bathsheba, but... We're not going to compare sins and say which is worse, but the more, more impactful sin of David upon the nation yeah. was his census, which we, we talked about when we went through Second Samuel, but the angel of the Lord strikes down, what was it, uh, 70,000 men of Israel
0: mm-hmm.
1: with this pestilence that comes upon them. Mm-hmm. And it's not until David goes to the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, which is in Jerusalem... Which will be the site of where he establishes the temple, and until that sacrifice is made, mm-hmm. that the angel of the Lord is turned away.
0: Yeah, and and this is all the the chronicler's doing a fantastic job here, by the way. But he he's not including Bathsheba in here because the, we're pointing, we're looking forward, we're looking forward to the Messiah, the one who is to come, because. We know we're in exile. We know why we're in exile. But again, David is not the Messiah. He wants to be clear here that we are looking forward to a Messiah. So he does point out some of the sin of David. But I think it's interesting that the sword is drawn and it's stretched out over Jerusalem. I can't help but think in in chapter 21, verse 22, but David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Where do we see the sword of the angel of the Lord before? The garden. The garden of Eden, right? The presence of God dwelling among his people in Jerusalem, and now the sword is drawn. We're we're to look back. Is this another uh, Eden-like moment in which God's uh, a man after God's own heart has taken and eaten and not allowed back into Jerusalem. Is this the moment? That's that's kind of the question here. That's that's good. That, that's the picture we're drawing from
1: yeah. here. And I love right after it, verse twenty four. Right when when David is offered by Ornan just to take his thresh threshing floor right and, right. and offers him all the things. David is emphasizing. He will buy them at full price, right? Mm-hmm. He will not take something that costs him nothing. So let's connect the two together because I think yeah. this is where I was going with it. The sword of the Lord stands ready to judge his people because of their sin. sin. Mm-hmm. And he offers a sacrifice that is not free, but at a great cost. And what was the ultimate cost that he does to right. atone for all of our sin? The cost of his own son. Yeah. So I think these images are pointing us forward ultimately to Christ. Mm. God stands ready to judge. His wrath is on full display of what it's capable of. And yet Christ stood between us Mm. and the wrath of God Mm. at the cost of his own life. Opening
0: back to the tree of life. Opening us up back to the tree of life. A path to receive God or again withholding God's judgment here because of the sacrifice.
1: Making peace between us and God and reconciling
0: us back. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Steve? Any final thoughts to add, Steve? I
2: think the great statement for that is God's glory in salvation through judgment. Amen. Because you see the judgment there and you also see the image of
0: salvation. Okay, John chapter 8. We have something that is interesting here. It's called the... Pericope adulterae That's this section of scripture Is that early. pig Latin? <laughs> it's it's uh, Latin For this section of scripture That deals with the adulterous woman In which uh, she's found in adultery And, and Jesus um, Says most famously Whoever is, who has not sinned Cast the first stone And he says There's no one here Lord And neither do I condemn you Go and from now on Sin no more is this in the Bible or not? Because my footnote has a footnote here that says other passages here, variations of the text, some manuscripts do not include this. What, what am I supposed to take from this? How do I deal with this? What am I supposed to do with it? What do you think, Steve? Steve? <laughs> That's a hard question. You're giving question. him the hard questions, yeah, it's Dave. Just, we told him we warned him ahead of we, time. We you warned take, him. Yeah. did warn him. Your thoughts, Steve.
2: I think that when we read anything, there's a reason that somehow it was added. I think it does can speak, but we can also look you know, we don't have to take this one. We can, I mean, it's not in the earlier script but i think if we look at god's all scripture ordained by him then we need to be able to hear what god might have said through this even though it might not have been john we all look at all scripture really
0: coming from the lord if that makes so the reason why it's in here is because of the Textus Receptus is which the King James version is built upon. The Textus Receptus is which is one of the manuscript Greek manuscripts, but the majority of the Greek text and earlier, most reliable Greek texts do not have it in it. So, when we're talking about this, it's interesting because this one section it doesn't change who Christ is and what He does. No. It does not, and so we have to understand that if this is the one section of scripture in John in which we're concerned whether it's in or not, how reliable are the other pieces of scripture here? How reliable is the Bible if this is one paragraph that we're concerned whether it's in or not? And there's multiple, uh, there's multiple um, uh, manuscripts which have different in or out in it. I mean, this is beautiful in the in the idea that the Bible is so accurate. Yeah. That this is the first time we're really even discussing this, and the, on the podcast we've discussed it in Mark at the end of Mark. There's a ending there that's that's in need of discussion, but the accuracy of the Bible is so complete. I think we should look at that, and rather than. What, what do we do or what do we not do or how do we deal with it, right? Yeah, and final thought
1: before we kind of look at how it's structured, why you could argue it may not have been there originally in the flow of thought of how John would write it is when you're reading your scriptures, it tells you clearly, hopefully in your Bible, through a footnote, or in our case, it's got this bracket ahead of chapter eight that we know ahead of time. There is some evidence that it was not in the earliest manuscripts, right? right. So we we're clear that we can call call attention to things that don't cause us to question the validity of God's word, right? Right. So, we move on, though. And I would say... We progress. The flow of thought, I think, that John is getting at is it probably wasn't there for a reason. Because at the end of chapter 7, who comes back on the scene? Nicodemus, who was one of the Pharisees, who back in chapter 3 was the one that came to Jesus at night and... Tried to engage with Jesus, but really got a, a very confusing answer from his point of view about being born again. And then if you flash forward, where we pick up chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to him saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. And he's addressing the Pharisees. I think we're starting to see John connecting that Nicodemus is one who is starting to get it, right? Mm-hmm. And contrasted with the other Pharisees, his demonstration of getting it goes back to how chapter 7 ends with arguing that Jesus deserves a just opportunity to defend himself and give testimony to who he is. So I think in the flow, I'd argue it probably wasn't there, because I think you could pick up in verse 12 and it makes more sense with the complete thought of what we saw in chapter Mm -hmm. 7. But regardless, what are we saying Jesus is? He's full of forgiveness if we account the woman of adultery. And the confusing thing in chapter 7 is he gives testimony of himself. And Steve will appreciate this. Uh, We didn't talk about this before we started recording, so we can just kind of think through it quickly. But some people will attack Scripture and say, the fact that we defend Scripture through Scripture makes it a circular argument. And therefore, it's self-defeating, right? You're using something to prove itself. But that's what Jesus is doing here, Mm -hmm. arguing he is God. Why? Because he gives testimony of himself, and he needs no one else to testify to him. And then the crowd accuses him and says, well, of course you can say that, because how can we defeat that argument? But Steve, at some point, when we're wrestling with people and their concept of God, does God need any authority to vouch for who he is?
2: No. And I think that's what, especially as we preach, the more somebody is preaching from the word rather than even topical, Mm -hmm. you can see that what gives us authority from the pulpit is not our education. It's not that we've figured something out that we are special. It is God's word that gives the authority. So to speak into someone's life, it brings authority. And so, uh, like tonight, I'll be preaching a little bit on the light of the world coming in. And I go, when right before that, in, the, in Matthew 5, it talks about, hey, you're going to receive persecution because of me and who I am. Christ is the light of the world in John 1, right? Mm-hmm. The word began in the light. When you bring light, it brings not just those that need the light, mm-hmm. but it brings your enemies' attention to you as well. Mm-hmm. And so when our enemies come, they don't like the light. They want your light to be shut down. They don't not, they here the Pharisees are rejecting the light that's shining upon them, and they do not want any of it. Mm -hmm. Nicodemus, yes, he's starting to go, wait, I kind of want this. So when I see this, I go, hey, listen, the word gives us authority right now. It's a circular argument that I just used because I'm using Scripture from everywhere, right? But the only authority we really have, I think you're right, is Scripture in Christ. And like yeah. that's what is authoritative, not us. John not-
0: loves his, his idea of light, does he? He, lo- he loves yeah. to talk about light. But yes. We see light in Genesis, right? Let there be light. God said, let there be light. That's the beginning of the work of God. The Word of God is speaking forth and that's what he says first, let there be light. And then when, when Israel is in the wilderness, how, do they, how are they led? They are led by the pillar of fire in the darkness, which leads them out of uh, Egypt and into to, to the, to Mount Sinai. So the, the idea of light, and that's probably where we get this idea of light, Jesus right. is speaking to the Feast of Booths and, and the Exodus uh, anyway, But we also have this idea of light in the tabernacle which shines. The lampstand, if you will, which John will take in Revelation as the church, the people of God, which represents the spirit of God, the presence of God among his people. I am the light of the world is the presence of God among the world, among his people. And so when we understand that Jesus is saying, I am Specifically back to Exodus, the, the I am Yahweh, I am the light of the world. He's saying, I am God. Yes. The presence of God among the people. And when 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 we get to chapter later in chapter eight, where he says, Before Abraham, I am, before Abraham was, I am, he's declaring himself God.
1: That's right. And so I'm getting fired up. No, that's good. And God needs nothing outside of himself to prove that he is God. Yes. And so it's a difficult thing I'm about to say. Okay. You guys can jump on me. Well, there's two witnesses here, though. One is the Father, and one is the Son. One is the Son. Go ahead. But we go back to chapter 2, verses 24 through 25. And Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Right. God does not need us. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. And that's a difficult thing in our American gospel moment, because most of the gospel that we've heard preached to us continually is God does need us.
0: Right. He needs us to do his work.
1: But that is mm. what we're seeing fly in the face of what Jesus says here in John chapter 2 and what he says in John chapter 8. He gives testimony to himself because of who he is. Amen. He needs no man to do that. We're invited into that fellowship with him to give testimony to what him mm. being the light, mm. but he never needs us to do that. He doesn't need us. And this argument here uh, is just further proof that we can bank on the word of God, even with what we started with, with bracketed... Uh, testimonies that some manuscripts don't include these references, but at the end of the day, the Word of God proves itself true, Mm -hmm. both historically, but also in being self-referential, proving that God is God in every sense.
0: Yeah, and they they understood this, right? They picked up stones to throw at him. They knew what he was saying. They knew what he was saying. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of people, though, that read the gospel of John and somehow cannot understand Jesus as God. He but he is clearly saying that.
1: And there's hope for those people. There's hope for us when we encounter those people because Nicodemus was one of their number and yet the Lord is slowly working on his heart and transforming him to let All him. All right, so
0: real, let's break it down to reality, okay? I've got a lost person who doesn't recognize Jesus as Lord God But I want and desire him or her to know God. And I know that the word of God tells me that God desires all men to be saved. What is my role in this? Our role
2: is for me, is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all we're asked to really do, is share the gospel. Share His word. Proclaim proclaim His word. Yeah, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, salvation belongs to God. Like, Mm -hmm. we take our... Really, at the end of the day, I don't have control over any of that stuff. It's all up to Him. But what I can do in my relationship with God is proclaim His greatness and glorify Him. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm looking for me to get some, to mark another check mark that I saved another person, number one, I don't. Number two, like, again, this is about God and His story. And I think that If we proclaim and glorify God, I think we're doing really good.
0: Amen. Anything Dad? No,
1: I think uh, the only thing I would add is I think what he says in verse 31, right? These famous lines, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. So our role is to abide in Christ. And uh, it's a constant back and forth, right? I mean, we'll admit it ourselves. We have to remind ourselves daily of the gospel and our own relationships of where we go off track. Yes. Um, but for your friend, for my friend, for Steve's friends that we will encounter, um, they need to see us abiding in Christ Amen. that does give evidence of the testimony. Christ doesn't need us, but he does expect us to abide in his words to prove that we are truly his disciples.
0: Amen. Amen. Bible Rundown. Thanks, Pastor Steve, for coming on today. Good work, Steve. Special guest, baby. We'll see you later.